Esther chapter number 7 is where we'll find our reading tonight. Let's read there together if we can. Stand with me if you don't mind and we'll read this chapter. If you could just follow along and we'll read together in just a few moments a few of the verses. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again unto Esther on the second day of the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted thee of what is thy request, and it shall be performed even unto the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. Would you read the next verse with me? Verse number four, everyone. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we have been sold for bondmen or bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. The king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther, the queen, Who is he? Where is he? that durst presume in his heart to do so. And Esther said, The adversary, the enemy, is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. Would you read verse 7 with me? And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw Then the king returned out of the palace of the garden and to the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman had fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. And then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in, this ha- in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold, also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman hath made for Mordecai, who has spoken good of the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. Would you conclude me verse number 10 together? So they hanged. Father, thank you for the word of God, and thank you for the opportunity to take a few weeks and Review this book of the Bible where your name is not mentioned, not one time. Prayer is not mentioned, though implied, but yet you're all through the pages of the book of Esther. We can see your hand. We cannot uh, see your name. We can see your mighty work, your providential care uh, at work in this story. I pray you teach us things that will be helpful. Help me to understand uh, the truths of your word, but I pray you'd please help me to be able to convey them properly without uh, question, without uh, confusion. Thank you, Lord, for the people who've chosen to stop what they're doing tonight and come and be a part of a midweek Bible study. Bless our Spanish congregation across the way. Give them a good study as well, and may you please be with us and, and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Of course, the book of Esther is a book we have taken the time over the summertime just to kind of go verse by verse and part by part through this book. Of course, the book of Esther is unique. It's one of two books in the Bible named after a lady, Ruth and this Esther. And uh, it's about 10 chapters. Ruth is only four chapters, smaller than this. And this is in, in the post exilic season whenever the children of Israel had already played out their 70 years of Babylonian captivity. They had paid back God for all the years they had stolen from him that he kept track of. 
All the years in which they were supposed to give him the first fruits, and they didn't do it, and they just negated that, and he kept track, and he said, you're going to spend 70 years there. He had given them, many of them, by the way, this is the children of the, uh, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already gone into Assyrian captivity years prior to this, but this is where Jeremiah was prophesying ahead of time. And, of course, uh, Daniel, he went into Babylon on the first group, and then 10,000 more went uh, with the next king and, um, and Janiah. And, th- and then, of course, Jeremiah sent the letter to them. And then they came in and pillaged Jerusalem and took the rest of the residue of people and hurt uh, so many under the cruel leadership of that time, which was Nebuchadnezzar. The world, there's probably not been another leader with more power until the Lord Jesus comes and rules the world from Jerusalem than Nebuchadnezzar. He's just, he's been the, he's, he had more leadership. And um, now he has gone the way of man during that time, and then Belshazzar took over, and then, of course, Darius, and he let them go. And whenever Darius let the people go, and Cyrus made the, uh, made the, uh, the, the proclamation, and now many of, the, many of the Jews chose not to go. They stayed back. It was more comfortable to live in, in Persia uh, than it was to live back and start things over again in Jerusalem. And they scattered around to all now 127 provinces. The king looks like Ahasuerus is a weak king. He is one easily swayed. He is definitely uh, drunk. He's definitely someone who is given to anger, gets mad real easy. And uh, those are things you and I don't want in our repertoire <laughs> of, uh, of uh, activity. But that's who he was. He was unsafe in the books. It is an unsafe setting. It's not set in Jerusalem. It's set in Shushan, the southern uh, winter palace for the king of Persia. Ahasuerus is, uh, had a party and he wanted to show all of his leadership from the world around, 127 provinces. He had representatives probably from almost all of them, if not all of them. They had come and he had spent 180 days having, uh, showing them all the things that he was in charge of and the great wealth of the kingdom and then had a seven-day feast with the men of the city and with the men who had invited. They were drinking. Alcohol was flowing like a river and immorality usually follows any kind of an alcohol or addiction. And certainly that was going on there. And his wife, Vashti, the queen at the time, was having a party with the girls. And at the same time, about seven days into it, he decides to ask his queen to come and show off her beauty to a bunch of drunks. She does not uh, obey. She says, I'm not doing it. And it makes him angry. And then he causes, uh, causes a lot of problem among his men in his kingdom. They say, you can't, you can't uh, let this go un- unchecked. We've got to do something. And they remove her from being the queen. And during that time, there was a Jew in Shushan, and his name was Mordecai. And he had uh, taken the responsibility of, we believe, to be his, some say his cousin, his, his, at least his, he would probably be more like an uncle to her, a surrogate stepdad or what have you, but he was his uncle, an uncle in the, in the thing. And whether uh, it's true, some historians believe that his, his, her, mother, his, uh, her dad died before she was born, her mother died at birth, whatever, he raised her like his own child. And about four years into it, uh, somebody suggested that he get all the virgins of, the, of his kingdom and figure out which ones he wanted and, and, and find a new queen. And he did. 
And that was a process. And of course, it's not God's process. It wouldn't be something that God thought of, but it was a worldly way, kind of like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette on television. It's not God's way to do that. I don't know why God's people would be entertained by such sickness and foolishness and immorality, but that's kind of what uh, was, it was the world's idea, and, uh, and he bought into it. But during that process, Mordecai enrolled his niece, a beautiful girl, no doubt, uh, probably had a beautiful disposition. We find that she was somewhat content in her skin and not uh, someone who was covetousness or with the itch for strong, more things. What can I have beyond what she had been given? But he enrolled her in that process, and sure enough, uh, she found favor with the leader in charge of that project for the king, and he gave her seven ladies that would take care of her. He gave her all the things, not just for her, but to all the, the contestants. All they would need to be beautiful and gave them a year's time to continue to enhance their beauty and their bodies and and, uh, so forth and so on. Gave them help. And certainly Esther was right in the middle of that. But one thing that Esther did, she attracted favor from the people in charge of the process. And when she came to the king, she also attracted his favor. He made her the queen. And she became the queen. And things changed a little bit because we find now he has a queen. But he is also, we find that... uh, Mordecai gets added to the king's gate. He gets a government job as a result, no doubt, because of he is, uh, he's the uncle of Esther. But he does have an adversary in the group, and that man is Haman. Haman is now probably second in the kingdom, and he has been given lots of authority and a position and, and, and possessions from the king, but he did not get the respect of Mordecai. Brother Mordecai would not bow to him, would not give him the allegiance, and it was eaten his lunch. And as a result of that, he decided that he would try to find a way to exterminate not just Mordecai because he found that he was a Jew, but all the Jews. And so he got together with, uh, with maybe his cronies, and they did something like rolling dice. It was the first month of the year, which would have been April. Our month would be April, but it was the first month, and it meant that uh, they were going to find out which month in the future that they wanted the Jews to die. And they rolled the, the purr, and uh, it came out to be the 12th month. And on the 13th day, it would be the day that he would go to the king and say, there's a group of people in our, in our land that we need to exterminate them. It's gonna, not something we can do at all. We have to take some preparation. But I'd I, uh, like to make sure we do this on the 12th, the 12th month, 13th day. And the king uh, gave uh, the law, the Medes and Persian, to go ahead and pass that. And that's what they did. And that's why they, they rolled the purr, if you will. They, they drew, drew, drew straws or rolled the dice. It was a chance. And so now they have, they have the work in process. And time has gone by. And now, during as soon as that law goes out, Mordecai does something very unusual for a man at the gate. He goes out and he begins to put on sackcloth and, and ashes and keeps his... And rather than comb his hair, he probably messes his hair up. And he's got... He's got all these bad clothes on. And the word gets back to his niece. Man, Uncle, Uncle Mordecai is going nuts. He's, he's really in mourning. Something's wrong. And she sent clothes out to him. He said, change your clothes. Don't do that. It's embarrassing. What are you doing? Time has gone by now. Several years have gone by. She's been the queen for five years now. And now uh, her uncle is doing this, and she finds out why. There's several different things, a little exchange there. And uh, he reminds her that you didn't come into the kingdom 
just because you're beautiful, not because you're my, my niece, not because uh, of all this. You're, you're coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. And if you think you're going to, you, you know, she said, he did something about it. He goes, I can't just walk in. He hasn't called for me in 30 days. If I walk in there and he doesn't accept me, I'm dead. Oh, yeah, if he doesn't put up his scepter for me to touch, I'm, I'm toast. And then uh, she finally realized, you know, it was her responsibility. She came into the kingdom for such a time as this, and, and she asked him to fast. She fasted, and she asked Mordecai and his, his group to fast, and the Jews to fast, because it had been a cause of turmoil. Shushan, the palace, was in, in, in they, were, they were confused. Why, what happened? While the king and, and uh, while his uh, Haman were sitting down getting drunk again, the whole city... And they were doing merry things. The whole city was confused. What's going on? Why are we going to kill all the Jews? In that process of time, of course, you remember the story, but um, uh, he got her and she said, okay, I'm going in. If I perish, I perish. And she walked in and made the appointment and he put out his golden scepter. He touched it and she, he accepted her. And uh, he said, I've got something I want to tell you, something I need to ask you to help for. What do you need? He said, would you come to my house? And bring Haman with you and uh, enjoy a banquet. And I'll tell you. And of course, all of that, uh, he said, sure, we'll do that. And Haman was honored and they went in there and Haman got to see the queen and got to see the king. It was just those three. He felt really great. Then he walked out and said, what do you want? What do you, what do you want? He said, well, I tell you what, why don't you come back tomorrow? Would you come back tomorrow? That was a big thing. A lot would happen between that moment and the time that uh, they would come back the next day. You know, sometimes learning to know when to open your mouth and when to keep your mouth closed is an important thing. Learning when to speak on something, when to even ask something uh, to the authorities of your life. Learning how to speak to the king. Much of Proverbs speaks of how you approach the kings or the authorities of your life. And uh, I don't know, I probably, I'd had it on my heart. I would have probably wanted to told, right, told him right then, here's what I need. So I tell you what, would you, would you come back tomorrow and I'll tell you. And of course, Haman felt very privileged. The king was, he's on the inside track. Everything was that wonderful. And then he walked out and he saw Mordecai. And while all the other people bowed and saluted him, Mordecai just stood there and watched him go by. And he said, I don't care. Went home. His wife said, what's the matter, honey? Get my friends. I want to talk to them. Because I tell you what, I've been so blessed. He talked about his money. He talked about his paternal blessings. He's got 10 boys. He's got a great family. He talked about the position that he had. He's second in the kingdom. And then he talked about uh, not only his position, but he talked about the privilege that he and the king and the queen, he just now left there, he said, but all of it is nothing to me as long as I don't get the respect and the obeisance of one man, Mordecai. And they jumped on his wagon and said, you know what? I wouldn't put up with it. If I were you, I'd just build a gallows, and you've got, you're on the inside track. Go down there and tell the king tomorrow. There's a guy that's giving you problems. He'll give you permission to hang him. What he did not know is that night while he was having these gallows built, 75 feet in his backyard, if you can imagine that, he had probably all the construction guys come over working all night long. While he was watching, he seemed like he might have been up all night long on a construction project. The king was in his palace and he couldn't sleep. And the king could not rest. And 
So he, to help him go to sleep, he thought he would have someone read some boring minutes of his business meetings and things of that nature. And he had those guys come in. And of all places, I wonder if it's happenstance or is it providential design. Of all places, they begin to read about a situation, about Big Than. Big Than just sounds like a thug, doesn't he? And Teresh, these two chamberlains who have a problem with the king and they wanted, they've conspired to kill him. And this is years later. And Mordecai goes and tells his niece, Esther, said, there's two guys. I don't, I don't like the way they're looking at the king. I think they got something in for him. She tells, they investigate, and, and they kill both of the guys who have a conspiracy against the king. But nothing is done. Delayed reward. I'm sure maybe Mordecai, I probably thought, man, when it happened, I'm sure, I thought some, maybe at least a pat on the back, or that a boy, or a good job. Nothing. Until this night. And he said, hey, that's a, I didn't realize that story. What did we do for that guy? He goes, oh, we didn't do anything for him. He said, well, we got to do something for him. And he hears the gate rattling out front and goes out there, and he, or he says to the king, who's in the king's gate? And, of course, uh, Haman's there very early. He said, it's Haman. He said, well, tell him to come on in. He comes in with the purpose of saying, I want to I hang Mordecai. I want permission to take one of your guys that works for you and, and uh, end his life today. I've got the guys building gallows all night long. I'm ready to go with that. That was his idea. But before he could get his story out, the king says, um, he says, you know, I've been thinking about something. What would we do for someone who the king wants to honor? I'm thinking about something we could do real good. He said, what would you do? And Haman thought, man, I'm on a roll. I've been, at the, I've been at the queen's house. I've been with the king. It's me. He's going to honor me. Because, you know, I think I'd do. I just, I don't know. I think I would just get a horse, get the king's horse, and then get the king's clothes and the king's uh, crown and put it on his head, and, and then have a guy go out and say, this is the guy the king loves. Man, this guy, the king loves this guy. He loves him, wants you to recognize his greatness. Boy, you can imagine, I'm sure he went on, and he goes, that is awesome. That's exactly what I want you. Go find Mordecai, the Jew, and do that for him. Don't let anything go by that you just said. Everything you said, that's, that's exactly, oh, that's unbelievable. And I'm sure Haman said, it is more unbelievable than you can imagine. What a horrible day. Mordecai is, or of course he is put on the king's garments and his hat, and his, he's on the king's uh, royal steed, and he's being brought around the city. I can't even imagine how enthusiastic Haman must have been. Guy the king wants to honor. <laughs> Guy the king wants to honor. I don't know if he did it loud. I don't know. I can't even imagine him saying it with any sincerity whatsoever. He just probably thought, what is the worst thing that could ever happen to me? It's just happened. It was a long day at the office for Haman. But, of course, Haman puts his hoodie on, the Bible says. I'm just joking. He says he covers his head. He drops off the horse, takes and hangs the coats and gives it to the chamberlains and puts put the king's gown on, take all that stuff out, gives the horse to the stable, puts his hoodie on, and goes home with his head covered, embarrassed, bewildered. He went from the top of the world to the to the, uh, walking under a door. And now he comes to his wife and to his friends and says, you're not going to believe what happened to me. 
I went in to talk to the king about that. I've been walking. My feet are sore. I've been walking all day long telling this is what happens if you're really loved by the king. And guess who's on the horse? Mordecai. And his family doesn't, you know, his wife doesn't say, well, it's going to be okay, baby. They said, no, he said, you're going down. <laughs> you're, you're, you're toast. All his friends said, boy, that was a bad idea with that gallows. I don't know who thought of that, but that was terrible. He said, if this is, this is what happened to you, you're in a lot of trouble. And he couldn't hardly respond to that. And the, the chamberlain's at the door saying, hey, the king's waiting for you. Let's go. Got to go to the queen. Got to go to the queen. And that's where we come to the, the pivotal changing place of uh, Esther chapter 7. And I don't know what you, I, I, I think uh, this, uh, this is a, a very difficult day. First of all, both men have been awake all night long. Now, the king may have gone to sleep and took a nap during the day, but uh, we know what Haman was doing all day long, walking around with a horse, telling people how wonderful this guy is on the horse, according to the king. Gets home, and now it's turn around and come back and tell everybody and tell everybody goodbye, and go. doesn't have a chance to even think about what's going on. He just got the, his wife saying, you're going down. <laughs> and he's going out and getting in the, in the king's carriage to go out there. And we, now we find that he's in the, uh, the palace, and he's in the queen's abode, and she's serving them, and the king is anxious. All right, now what is it? It's the second night. What is it? Up to half the kingdom. What is it your petition? I can't wait to find out what you're asking me. And, of course, the Bible tells us what she said. She says, look, um, king, I'm asking you to spare my life, the life of my people. He says, I'm nervous about talking to you about this. And if it was just you're going to make the Jewish people, my people, a bondsman, and we're going to be slaves, I don't think I would even ask you about it. We'd just deal with it. Even though you would not get, of course, Haman had said if we can get rid of all these people, and this is about three months later, from when he signed the bill. He said, I'll give you 10,000 talents to go into your treasury, thinking that that would subsidize their tax. He said, you're still going to lose even if we were bondmen. He said, but if, if, if it were just going to go into a slavery, then I would just take it. But he said, it's bigger than that. They want to kill us. They want to kill me. They want to kill my people. They want to destroy us completely. And then, of course, the king gets angry. And, of course, wrath pops up on almost every page in every chapter of the book of Esther. And he says, who is this? Who, who is this person that has this idea? And I don't know exactly what happened. This would be something you can see in heaven cinema, okay? This wicked Haman. I don't know what Haman's face looked like there, but I just, I can't even imagine it. He said, it was this guy, our enemy, Haman. And he looked at him. He said, the second in command, this guy? And he just walks out on the terrace and goes into the garden and walking around. In the meantime, Haman finds his way over to where Esther is. At that time, they didn't sit at tables like you and I are used to in the Eastern cultures. They would lay, uh, they would lay down and, and kind of put their feet off to the side while they would eat at the table there. And uh, he has meandered his way over to where she is, and, and either he stumbles or falls or finds himself in a precarious situation with the queen. And when the king comes back in, he's begging for his life. He said, please, he's going to do something bad to me. Please don't let him happen. And then the king, of course, comes in, and he said, oh, you're going to force the king right here in her palace. 
and no, no sooner he got that out of his, out of his mouth, the, uh, the Bible says that they covered his head. He didn't have his hoodie. They was given a hoodie that time. Covered his head, took him away, and then Harbona came to him and said, You know, king, he's been up all night building a gallows that he wanted to hang Mordecai on. He said, You can look out the palace. You can see it. It's 75 feet tall. It's right there in his backyard. He said, well, how about taking him and hanging him on his own gallows? Unbelievable story of divine retribution. Of, of what God does and where he is. And of course, all this stuff, if I told you, and I didn't do a good job telling the story, many of you guys who teach Sunday school, you could figure these out much better than I. But one thing you could find is you can see the hand of God step by step. And you know, if God can be alive in the book of Esther, do you think he's alive in your life and my life? Do you think anything's ever occurred to God? Do you think he ever caught anything by surprise? He doesn't know what's going on. Sometimes you don't feel and you don't see God's hand in your life, you can trust the fact that God knows exactly what's going on. You can trust his heart and he loves you and he loves his people. Now his people are not in a good way. Mordecai and Esther and the Jews scattered all over 127 provinces probably shouldn't be there unless one of the provinces is Israel and Jerusalem. Those are the only, that's the place they could all go back to. You know, I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that God doesn't expect us to be perfect? <laughs> and then when we're not perfect, he loves us anyways. I don't think we should be presumptuous. And what I mean by that, you should not say, well, God's going to forgive me, so I'll just sin. Very dangerous. Ask Saul about that. Saul's sin was presumptuous. He just continued to just lean upon God. Like, it's not that big of a deal. God's going to forgive me. It'll be okay. And uh, sin always complicates life. But I love to see the story here. And step by step, you can see that God puts things together. Whether it's keeping the king up at night. Uh, whether it's disposing of a, of a coup attempt. Everything. Not getting rewarded at the time he should have gotten rewarded. And kind of get passed over at a time where he thought, well, I, should, I should have gotten promoted there. It wasn't time for me to be promoted. It wasn't time for that to be remembered. God knew when that was going to happen. You know, God knows what's happening in our life. A couple things I want to ask you about tonight as you look at chapter 7 as we, as we see this. If you would please look at verse number 4. And the Bible says at the end of the chapter, And I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Just reminding, she said, she said I, would have, I would have not even told you, even though I don't think it's a good deal for you. You're not going to get the taxes we were paying uh, at the at the 10,000 talents he was going to give you on a one-time thing. But then, of course, he points out him. And then, of course, the, 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 the Haman understands the evilness that's coming to him. The Bible changes everything right here in this passage of Scripture. And I want to just say to you, I don't know where you are this evening, but I want you to know that God is working in your life. Years ago, I heard a man named, uh, you know him, and Brother Terry Angel. I think it was him. He preached a message, and he's a great pastor of a church, Faith Baptist Church down in Bourbonnais. I think I heard it in California, but he, he preached a message on what to do when you're in a zone of silence, when you can't, you, you just seem like you're not heaven's brass. You can't get to God, and you're asking him for answers, and he doesn't give it to you. You're reading your Bibles like you always did, but it seems like you're, you're getting some things, but it's not giving you the direction that you need. And when you're going through a zone of silence, I think the Bible, he, he shared with us, number one, know 
this about God. You know, and of course, I love what, what Brother John Bishop says about God. He's always right, and he's always good. He's always good. He's always right. But these three things have helped me many times, in, in times where I just, I couldn't understand what's going on. And that is, I know this about God. He's watching. He sees me. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. Is there any day that God doesn't, is he slumber? Does he ever close his eyes to take a rest? No. He sees everything. And he sees everything. He's watching. Number two, he's working. God is working beside and behind the scenes of your life. Apostle Paul tells us, and I want you to turn there as we conclude tonight, if you would please, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I said 2 1 Corinthians, please forgive me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, I think is a good place for you to underline your Bible if you're in the habit of doing that. If you look in chapter 4, you'll find that Saul, or excuse me, Paul, was being criticized by the Corinthian leadership and some of the people that were there. And they were giving him the business and telling him, and uh, uh, they were saying ugly things about him. And then the Bible says, Let a man so give an account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He said, Look, if you're trying to make evaluations about my life, evaluate me on two criteria. Am I a minister of Jesus Christ? And am I a soul winner? Am I a steward of the gospel? By the way, those are two things all of us are commanded to do, to be a servant and to be a soul winner. He said, If you're going to have to evaluate me, if you want to give an account of me, you, you want to evaluate me, Paul says, Ask yourself, am I a minister of Christ? And am I a steward of the gospel? Am I a soul winner? Look at verse number two, would you? Read it out loud with me. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man... He, he said, remember this. It's not you, you're successful, that you're faithful. You know, some folks may not appear to be as successful. That's why I think when you look at missions, you want to be careful. Brother Mark Bushy and I today spent some time thinking and praying about missionaries and fields and and what to do, and, and how each person is different. And every field doesn't bring the same yield. Some folks you go to, witness to, in some parts of the world, they're just ready to receive the gospel. In other places, as hard as the winters. They're just not, resp they're not responsive. Can't really judge that. Can't always judge a missionary by how many people. And God doesn't judge a church by its size. He judges a church by its sort and by its Christ-likeness. He said, look, if you're going to evaluate me, find out if I'm a servant, am I a soul winner? Number two, and am I faithful at trying to do both? Moreover, it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Verse three, would you look at verse three? This will help some of us tonight. It may not help everybody. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged or evaluated of you. Or a man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. He said, it really, your opinion of me matters, but it doesn't matter a lot. He said, it's a small thing. Really, one of the things that helped me years ago as I heard the statement is that, John, we have nothing to prove and we have one person to ultimately please. We need to really focus on, even uh, the Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his to be at peace with them. He said, it, is a, it matters to me, and you should never say, well, I don't care what people think about me. You should care about that. But it's a small thing to care about. He said, your opinion, your judgment, your evaluation of me is a small thing. Look at verse number four, would you please? But I know nothing by myself. 
Yet am I not hereby justified. He that judges me is who? Who is the one who ultimately judges? The Lord. Because I really don't get it myself. <laughs> I'm sure some people are saying, if you're all that in a bag of chips, why can't you stay out of jail? If you're, if you're, a, if you're, a, you're, all, you're supposed to be some kind of great man of God, every time you go to a town, you don't start a revival, you start a riot. What's wrong with you? As they writes another letter from a prison cell. They're thinking, you know, what's wrong with you? If you're, if you're, if you're, why are you going through a difficult time if you're all that? And he says, you know, I don't, I don't think I understand it either. How many have ever gone through a problem you don't understand why you're going through the problem? Okay, that's, that's, that's humanity. He said, I don't know either. But look at verse 5. This is classic. He says, therefore, because of what I just said, judge or evaluate nothing before the time. He said, don't, don't, don't don't cast a judgment on something before the time. What time is that? Until the Lord does what? Comes. The Bible says ever, when the Lord comes, he will be the quick and the, he'll judge the quick and the dead. That's his job. Who both will bring to light when Jesus comes, what will he do? He'll bring to light two things. The hidden things of darkness. Things that are going on in the demonic world. And will make manifest the counsels of the heart. He'll know what's going on and how sincere, how sincere people are. What's really going on in the side of our hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. You know, I think about the story of Esther. I think about this passage of scripture. Because when you don't know what's going on, know two things about God. Number one, I shared with you that he's watching. Number two, that he's working. He knows what's going on. Number three, he's waiting. God is a God of timing. He knows what's going on. And when you think, oh, no, I think this should have happened yesterday. You know, God knows exactly what's going to happen. And you know, all of us have different seasons of life. And tonight this message will not be applicable for you. Some of you think I've been reading your mail. Because this is right down your alley. And it's not about me. It's about this pastor's scripture. And it's about this situation. I'd like to encourage you tonight to to bow your head and close your eyes, and let's go to God for a moment.